Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from Days Gone By, and note the date in the intro. Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're, we're wasting time. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Today, in-person voting day is happening in Georgia as election officials push back on the Trump claims about their presidential election. Democrats ask FBI Director Chris Wray to investigate the phone call between Donald and Raffensperger as North Atlanta U.S. Attorney General quits early. And every living former defense secretary signs a letter saying the military won't get involved in the election. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how are you? Is it cloudy and cold where you are? It is here. No, I mean, I think we're getting a the the air quality is just so bad in Los Angeles. It's really hard to gauge. Um, I literally if I lived near no one, I would still be wearing my mask outside. 
I don't understand why there's so much pollution here. We're not supposed to be in our cars, people. I know. And you're like, okay, so it's, it's a, is it a marine layer or pollution? I don't know. Yeah, I know. Oh, but other than that, you know, it's another big day. And so I'm on uh, trying to keep breathing and, you know, the, the anxiety level is a little bit high. But at this point, there's nothing I can change. I just hope that Georgia gets out and does the right thing for this country because we need it. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I've been bracing myself like for an either or scenario, um, trying to prepare. But, you know, I never am prepared. Like no. I would always think, you know what? Trump's going to do some weird stuff and it'll be horrible. And uh, I'm just I'm ready for it. And then I'm just not. <laughs> <laughs> no. And it's we never know what he's going to do. No. I mean, it's yeah, he's just he's he's. <laughs> I don't know how many other times he can do an impeachable offense in the next 15 days, but I'm actually afraid to ask. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's sort of how it is. Like, I think we've talked about this before. Neither of us have the cold, dead, blackened heart of Donald Trump and our, so we are just aren't capable of imagining what he's going to do next because, you know, that's like when I watch certain television shows, I'm like, what dark motherfucker thought of this? You know, like, I can't even think of it. I could actually see him having the White House demolitioned, like on January 19th. <laughs> and everyone like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, he's like, if I can't live here, no one can. Yeah, he'll have Canada come down and light it on fire again or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, so today, you know, you and I are going to go over the good news. And apparently it's a bumpy ride. I, I haven't looked at it yet. but I haven't wanted to. I just kind of want to let it unfold as it happens. And then uh, before that, I will have a little two-part interview with CNN legal analyst and former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig. And that state prosecutor thing is going to come in handy when we chat because we're going to talk about possible criminality in the Trump call and then also possible defenses that could be raised by um, by Trump if if he were prosecuted or charged with anything and also how to overcome those specific defenses. And so it's going to be an interesting conversation. So that'll be good. And then, you know, we got all the headlines and things like that. So it's just another another day except Georgia's voting. And I'm with you. Fingers crossed and just hoping for the best. I think we've done all the work we can do. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the headlines. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, lead story today is the ongoing saga surrounding Trump's call to Raffensperger, in which he threatened criminal consequences if Georgia didn't find him 11,780 votes to overturn the election there, even though those 16 electoral votes would not get him the presidency. Uh, Gabriel Sterling held a press briefing Monday to go through Trump's false claims line by line and disputing each one of them. And then he urged Georgians, you know, if you the best way to fight whatever you think is happening that's not happening is to go out and vote and uh, vote in the runoff election on Tuesday. So it was it seemed like kind of a political statement uh, from the he's a lifelong Republican. Most of these leaders in Georgia are all these leaders in Georgia are. And um uh, So, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens there. He also went over early voting numbers and he said at least three million people, three million thirty seven thousand seven hundred and forty three ballots have already been cast in Georgia ahead of Tuesday's Senate runoff elections. Uh, Voting system implementations manager, that's Gabriel Sterling, who who did this press conference, went over those numbers. He said the state had received nine hundred and sixty two thousand absentee ballots and over just over two million early voting ballots for this year runoff. 
Uh, the number of ballots cast so far has smashed previous records set for a runoff election. In 2004, the state had 2.1 million votes, and a runoff in 2018 had under 1.5 million. There will be 2,648 polling locations open today for runoff elections. That's a good number, uh, and I'm impressed by that and uh, and the effort that they're making to make it easier for people to vote in a state that's generally harder to for people to vote in. Absolutely. And there are still hundred still two hundred and eighty one thousand or so absentee ballots outstanding in the state. So that's over three million early votes cast. And that's just absolutely huge. And Biden and Stacey Abrams gave remarks at a rally in Georgia Monday, you know, socially distant car, one of those drive in rallies on Monday. And and of course, Trump will hold a rally Monday night, though I expect he will just complain about losing and not focus on Leffler and Purdue. Um, during his remarks, Biden leaned heavily on the $2,000 stimulus checks blocked by Mitch McConnell. He says, if you send us off and the reverend to Washington, those $2,000 checks will go out the door restoring hope and decency and honor for so many people who are struggling right now. Uh, And he said this directly, uh, contrasting it with their opponents, Purdue and Leffler, saying if you send Purdue and Leffler back to Washington, those checks will never get there. It's just that simple. The power is literally in your hands. He also lamented the economic situation in the nation, stressing there are food lines, unlike those seen since the Depression, arguing that the debate over $2,000 isn't some abstract debate in Washington. It's about your lives. And then he also congratulated Stacey Abrams for her incredible efforts uh, in Georgia. Absolutely amazing. To get the vote out and register voters and just knocking on doors and doing everything uh, that they can at Fair Fight to to get everyone out to vote in this very critical election. Yeah, one of my favorite things from the press conference, I don't know if you watch it, but the sign language interpreter, he even looked like he was annoyed that he had to explain this again. He was so so animated. It was beautiful. But you could just see his, I mean, the ability to convey, you know, the definitely the even Gabriel's annoyance. Um, mm-hmm. through his through his signing was incredible. I, I was enthralled the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the, he was he, the ASL interpreter. He, I've seen him up there before when, in fact, when Gabriel Sterling would come out and just be angry. And, and it's just it's it's amazing the, the his ability to just emote and get the point across. It, it, it's, it's fascinating to watch. It really is. Um, I've got what I consider good news because this comes from one of my con- my congressmen, Ted Lieu. A pair of House Democrats are asking FBI Director Christopher Wray to open a criminal probe into President Trump after the leaked phone call. And I don't even think we I don't leaked is such a weird word because I think it was just given like you know what i mean i think right. this was quite intentional but because because a lot of people say you know oh he shouldn't have leaked the call or or it was a it was a settlement conference so it's attorney client privilege but as harry Littman, former deputy assistant attorney general uh pointed out today on twitter he's like yeah there's a crime fraud exception you can't claim privilege when you're committing a crime and and i i added on saying yeah and the fact that trump tweeted about it whether there was privilege or not, which there wasn't, waives any such privilege. You can't, that's that third party uh, designation that we were talking about in that, remember that bribe for pardon scheme oh, between yeah. Broidy and the fact that they had forwarded that email to a third party that wasn't a lawyer or a representative or an agent of a lawyer waives that privilege. So he's out of luck. 
That's what happens when you all don't know the law and your lawyers don't know the law. But uh, these two congressmen, uh, actually a congressman and a congresswoman, um, basically they're saying as members of Congress and former prosecutors, we believe Donald Trump engaged in solicitation of or conspiracy to commit a number of election crimes. Reps Ted Lieu in California and Kathleen Rice of New York wrote in a letter to Ray on Monday. We ask that you open an immediate criminal investigation into the president. Now, in their letter, Lou and Rice allege, uh, quote, the evidence of election fraud by Mr. Trump is now in broad daylight. And it, it I mean, it truly is. So they, they continue to say, given the, given the more than ample factual predicate, we are making a criminal referral to you to open an investigation into Mr. Trump, the lawmakers wrote. And, you know, I just, I, I'm so glad that they're doing that. You know, I don't know what will come from this. I, I, I saw something um, from uh, Raffensperger that said, you know, I can't and I won't. Uh, do anything to bring you know any sort of legal up but and then he went on to say if you know in um what is the county that they're trying to get fulton county he said if they want to do it in fulton county that's their prerogative like it was just little thing of like i can't do it but if they want to do it in fulton county they're welcome yeah and one democrat uh who sat on the board of elections there also sent a letter to the attorney general um in in georgia urging the attorney general to open investigation too, and a lot of folks are calling for another impeachment, which I personally support. I know a lot of people don't, and we don't have to get into that uh, just because there's only 16 days left until uh, Trump is no longer in office. But and, and it will still be um, well. I mean, you know, if if we win these runoffs, Mitch McConnell. He, the thing is, is that we don't quite have the majority in the Senate with that tie-breaking vote with Kamala Harris until January 20th. Right. And so you would still run the risk of a, of a tie, probably, or, you know, d- you still have to kind of go through Mitch. But if they do, if, if there are enough Republicans do decide uh, to remove him after the House impeaches him, which they would if they opened these articles, uh, then you could actually write in the impeachment there that he can't run for office again. That and would so that, be beautiful. That would be the, the reason. And then, you know, talking about uh, pressing charges, c- citing, quote, unforeseen circumstances, the Atlanta-based U.S. attorney, B.J. Pack, announced that he would be resigning effective immediately. This is from Talking Points Memo. Uh, Pack has said that he, inten- he intended to stay on until January 20th, and he was going to. That's when U.S. attorneys are typically rehi- rehired or dismissed by the incoming administration's attorney general. But now... Everyone, including past Daily Beans guests Judge Sugarman and Renato Mariotti, are asking what those unforeseen circumstances could possibly be, because this looks like a huge red flag. I mean, I imagine he knows he would, by law, it would be his duty to investigate and then could face backlash from Trump supporters. Or maybe he was pressured to uh, to leave early by Trump so that that doesn't happen. But, you know, that's... This is all evidence of the president's behavior bucking the justice system. And I hope Biden's Department of Justice doesn't do the same thing. I actually think the next 15 days is going to be bananas. I mean, to be it, honest it with you, be. I think, I mean, hang on to your hat because shit is about to get crazier than it has been for the last three, almost four mm-hmm. years. And and also keep in mind, too, you, and I, I know we mentioned this on the last show, but we have to remember about the Red Mirage when we when we had our presidential election November 3rd and we didn't find out the winner until November 7th. And, you know, they count the in-person voting from day of first, and those are usually Republicans. And then we slowly watched as all these states flipped blue nevada arizona georgia pennsylvania and 
that could, it's going to happen again in in Georgia. So because the Republicans still wouldn't allow them to start counting ballots early, I don't believe. I could be wrong on that. Somebody send me a correction if I am. But it's going to take a minute. And um, I think everyone just should be prepared for that. I absolutely agree with you. And I keep reminding myself. Um, last story we've got before in your incredible interview. Finally, all 10 living former U.S. defense secretaries declared that the U.S. presidential election is over in a forceful public letter published in the Washington Post on Sunday as President Trump continues to deny his election loss to Joe Biden. So the letter, which was signed by Dick Cheney, I can only assume from his winter home in hell. Um, <laughs> oh, he's trying to make snowballs. Yep, yep. So Dick Cheney, uh, James Mattis, Mark Esper, Leon Panetta, Donald Rumsfeld, William Cohen, Chuck Hagel, Robert Gates, William Perry, and Ashton Carter. Uh, this basically amounts to a remarkable show of force against Trump's subversion efforts just days before Congress is set to count the Electoral College votes. In this letter, they say our elections have occurred, recounts and audits have been conducted, appropriate challenges have been addressed by the courts, governors have certified the results, and the Electoral College has voted. The time for questions the result has passed. The time for the formal counting of the Electoral College votes, as prescribed in the Constitution and statute, has arrived. That's what the group wrote. I mean, these are 10 very, I don't want to say well-respected men, because there's a couple of exceptions in that group. Um, but they they knew their job. They know that the United States military is not supposed to be involved in elections, and they are very much saying that this one is over. Yeah. And when you got Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld telling you to sit down, Thank you. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> boy, um, <laughs> and, and then you even have Mark Esper, who was Trump's uh, secretary of defense, James Mattis as well, also yeah. Trump's secretary of defense. And they're all coming together. And all of them, every single living sec def in, in history is like, Nah, bro, we're not going to get involved. Not to mention the current chair of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, has said repeatedly that the military will not get involved. Um, as you know, as I said, former Secretary of Defense Esper espoused the same view, and he has in this letter. But as we know, he's been fired and replaced by Chris Dipshit. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and he's the number one, number two, and number four people at the Pentagon are now just non-military, idiotic. Trump sycophants. And so everyone's questioning whether or not he's going to invoke the Insurrection Act and try to have the military force a rerun of the elections in these swing states. Um, that is going to be tough to do. And then, of course, you know, all the Louis Gohmert and all these other Republicans trying to incite violence on, you know, Wednesday in the Capitol. Um, but it, interestingly enough, the the head of the Proud Boys has been arrested for destruction of property, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, good. it's when he burned that Black Lives Matter flag. Yeah, and he admitted to it on social media, so they have a confession. And uh, and also, I think he had a couple of high capacity magazines he wasn't supposed to have, or clips. I don't know what you, you know. I'm one of those liberals who I and I own a gun, and I am an expert rifle and expert pistol shot. I was in the military, but I'm one of those people who's like, I don't, I don't, whatever you call it, we should get rid of the high powered shit. I'm one of those people who make it hard for Democrats to have gun arguments because I really sometimes don't know what I'm talking about. But too many people are dying, and that's important. So uh, that's. Where we are with the headlines today, I'm sure more, more news is going to drop. I know that a judge, I think, uh, said that they were not going to extradite Julian Assange uh, to the United States. And a lot of people were kind of upset by that. But of course, they could also just be waiting until Trump is gone, although Trump doesn't need him to be extradited to pardon him. 
So I expect another round of pardons to to come uh, soon as well. So we have that to look forward to. Oh, yes. And I believe I have a feeling there's going to be some, as you call them, grown crotch fruit involved. Yes, yes. The crotch goblins will be pardoned. Uh, We'll be right back with CNN legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig. We're going to discuss the criminality of the phone call and what would be necessary to prosecute it. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is CNN legal analyst and former federal and state prosecutor, and that's going to come in handy here in a minute. Please welcome Ellie Honig. Allison, uh, happy 2021. Let's start on an up note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we always talk under terrible circumstances, but it is good to speak to you. You too. So this brand new perfect call, I would like to talk (laughs) about some of the... Uh, aspects and language of the call, and then maybe uh, go to some possible defenses that you outlined in a new piece that you just penned for CNN that I encourage everyone to read. So let's start, let's just kick off with some of your top line thoughts about some of the the language uh, from this call, particularly the, you know, 11,780. Yeah, so before we get too deep into the into the legal pieces piece of it, a couple things jumped out. It's really sort of startling when you, if, if you get to listen to the whole hour, it's it's really an incredible thing to listen to. First of all, he's just incoherent. He can't follow a thought down a logical, argumentative path. That's number one. Number two, it's just straight up bully tactics that really wouldn't succeed on anybody in in normal life. I guess it's different when it's the president of the United States, but just laughably unpersuasive bully tactics. And number three, everything he's saying is a self-perpetuating myth. Everything he's saying is just the same crap that he's been saying and echoing back, and it's this real echo chamber between certain hard-right media outlets and Trump himself and Twitter and his most loyal followers, and they just take this nothing and they keep repeating it to one another and it gets passed around the circle and then they say, well, it's, you know, this is the truth. And the whole argumentative approach that Trump's making here to the extent there is any is, let me start from the assumption that I definitely won and now let me browbeat you. But It's like, okay, but your fundamental assumption has been rejected by the attorney general, the FBI, DHS, and dozens of courts across the country. Mm. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that, because I listened to the full hour, I think, you know, part of my duty as a patriot, I guess, was to listen to that entire call. Um, but you're right. He, but you know, you can pick out sort of what he's talking about. His first opening 20 minutes are about numbers and just conspiracy theories that have been totally debunked that I personally think he made up in his Oval Office with, with Sidney Powell. Uh, but, you know, and that's going to come into the conversation a little bit later when we talk about the the legality of this and possible defenses. But it, you know, I think what he was getting at, at least, were I clearly won because my rallies were bigger and I've heard a lot of things. And that uh, then he starts with these numbers of ballots from dead voters and ballots that were put in a box. And there's a videotape of the State Farm video and uh, just all of these numbers he's trying to add up to show that he won by a half a million votes, but he only needs 11,780. And at one point he actually says, because, you know, the margin was 11,779. And I I think we can all agree on that. That's what he... 
he actually said. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the some of this language, uh, some of this mobbed up language uh, that, you know, the wink and the nod stuff. And then and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So first of all, as I've said before, you know, I, I really did prosecute mob bosses. I know everyone likes to compare Donald Trump to a mob boss, but I don't think a lot of those people I'll, I'll accept Mimi Roca and Dan Goldman and Preet, who all worked with me at the SDNY. But I don't know how many people have actually heard mob bosses talk. And I don't mean on The Sopranos. I mean, in real life, on real tapes. We all have. Um, and it, it, it's similar in some respects, but dissimilar in other respects. It's, it's dissimilar in, in the in the fact that mob bosses tend to be a little more subtle. I mean, right? That not, mob bosses don't get on the phone and basically uh, try to overtly extort people. You know, they're, they're a little more careful about what they say. And right here, Trump... I mean, not only does he use the power of his office here sort of explicitly, but really implicitly, but he also threatens at one point that's really telling criminal sanctions, not that he can bring them on his own, but he threatens Raffensperger with criminal penalties. He says, well, what what you're doing is criminal and I'm putting you on notice right now. I mean, give me a break. That is such Bush League bullying tactics from Trump. But look, he, he is like a mob boss in the respect that he believes everybody's duty is just pure loyalty to him, defend him, do whatever he says unquestioningly. And it's kind of, I don't know, I guess gratifying to hear how taken aback Trump is when Raffensperger, a Republican, says, all due respect, Mr. President, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And one of the things I do do want to say a quick, um, you know, thanks for here is just it, it, not not at risk of sounding like federal courts class in law school, but um, federalism, the idea that we have these separate federal and state systems. And the beauty of it is, while Donald Trump is, of course, more far more powerful than Brad Raffensperger is as Georgia's secretary of state, there's also nothing that Donald Trump can do to the Georgia secretary of state. The president has a lot of power, but he can't do anything to the to state level officials. And that, I believe, sort of frees up or empowers people like Raffensperger. We've seen from many state judges and governors and legislators to say, all due respect, Mr. President, no, thank you. Not interested. So, um, you know, but but look, I, it really did make me think of mob bosses just hearing the way that he expects everyone to just bow down and do whatever he says unquestioningly. Yeah. And he has this sort of I, I remember distinctly in this call when he was spouting all of his lies about these votes that were lost or dead people voting or whatever. And he said, hey, you know, it's real. I'm informing you now. I'm the president and I'm telling you now that this happened. Like his his being who he is, he can just say what has happened. And I thought that that was really interesting. It's the uh, hereby thing, right? Remember when Trump declared, I hereby win Michigan? I mean, he really <laughs> he really brings a childlike notion of of what the president can do. And I think it's part of the reason he he, he uh, obviously is, is sort of enjoying the pardon power, because it's one of the very few powers that is as simple as it sounds. He can almost just hit a button, send a tweet, and it's done, and nobody can realistically contest it. Now, most of the presidential powers are not nearly so broad. And of course, he, he does not have power over, for example, Congress or, you know, or state officials. But yeah, it's this very simplistic notion of if I it, it's like the scene in The Office, if you if you ever watch The Office, where Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, um, is running into financial problems and he stands in front of the whole office and he yells, I declare bankruptcy. And they're like, it's uh, <laughs> not how it works. You can't just declare it. So, um, you know, th- he's trying to do that again here. I hereby put you on notice. It's like, it doesn't work that way, sir. 
Yeah, exactly. And I also, it feels like part of this whole rant and the setup of the call was him sort of trying to build a defense to some sort of criminal charge. And what I'm getting at here is I remember distinctly from learning lessons from the Mueller investigation and some other investigations that we've covered, that if you honestly believe your lies, if, if you don't think they're lies, then you you can't it, it kind of eats away at your criminal intent can you talk about that for a minute because it doesn't seem to apply here and i know that you you touched on this in your article yeah so federal law and georgia state law are are similar here and they both really boil down to it's a crime to solicit or encourage or pressure an election official to count votes that were not actually cast but but you have to also it, it only works if the person who's doing the asking knows and believes that those votes were not actually cast, right? I mean, you know, if if a person legitimately believes that he received votes, it's not necessarily a crime to call up a, or to ask for, for those votes to be counted. So in other words, I think John Berman on CNN put it well this morning. He, he said, he said, to look at this as if the president is a madman is actually the most charitable interpretation of what the president's saying here. In other words, he, if, if he could convince a jury he actually believed he won Georgia. He actually believes he got these votes. Then it would be hard to convict. Now, I think there's a very good comeback for a prosecutor, which is that's just not what's going on here. And you know how you can tell? We need to hear the president's own words. The president says we need to find these votes, find these votes. I mean, that is pretty telling. That is very different than saying, look, I, you know, the president, if you believe the president and if you believe the president believes himself, he won by six figures. That's what he says in the call. So why does he need to, quote, find exactly one more vote, 11,870 or whatever the number is, one more vote than he needs to win? And to me, that tells me that he's he's more than he it's something more indifferent than he feels really aggrieved and he 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 legitimately believes he won and he just wants to correct the situation. It's more than that. And it's worse than that, I think. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a, a pure of heart person and I believe that the bank took one hundred and eighty thousand dollars from me, I'm not going to call up the bank and say, look, I only need eleven thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, of the 180,000 that you stole from me, you're going to fight for every vote that you think was taken from you. Uh, and it, it just doesn't make sense to only get, like, I don't know who advised him to only ask for the one more vote than he needs to flip the state that and he's only going to get 16 electoral votes It's not going to give him the presidency. So it just it just doesn't make that much sense. Um and I thought Asha Rangappa made a great point to all of these people defending Trump saying, technically, this isn't a crime. And she's like, not committing a crime is the floor, not the <laughs> right. ceiling. Right, right. No, I, 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 I guess there's, you know, I'm waiting to hear the perfect call chorus that we heard during impeachment. That's going to be a harder argument to make here because, right, at least, there, you know, in the impeachment with Ukraine, there was some argument of, well, the president has sort of full reign to engage in foreign policy. I, you know, I think that's not a great argument, but there's no argument here. I mean, I, I, the only person I've seen even try this is uh, one of his sycophants, Miller, um, Jason Miller, I guess, said something like, oh, it was a great call, nothing wrong with the call. But I mean, come on. And by the way, 
this is part of the damage he's doing to the Republican Party. I mean, every Republican elected official now needs to be asked, are you okay with this? And they'll all say, you know, they'll try to say, I, I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. I haven't heard it. But um, to, to the credit of, of many, they are coming out saying this is not okay. Yeah. And I, I do have a couple more questions, but I have to take a quick break. Ellie, would you hang around? Of course. Great. Thanks. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking to former federal and state prosecutor and uh, CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig about this phone call. And Ellie, I now wanted to talk about a rumor that's going around the socials that it was Trump who leaked this call to to get more ears on his conspiracy theories, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. And I just want to kind of nip that in the bud because we, you know, put the I think Raffensperger's office put out a statement today, you know, when being questioned, because, of course, the Republicans are like, I can't believe you leaked this. I can't believe you recorded the call. But I th- don't think that was an illegally recorded phone call and then somebody said something about it was a settlement conference and shouldn't have been leaked and then something about i mean they said hey lindsey graham called us and told us to throw out votes so yeah we recorded the phone call so let me first of all this idea that well raffensperger did something wrong because it was a settlement negotiation is ridiculous in two respects number one what are they there's no settlement talks going on here there's no lawsuit they're not trying to settle anything Number two is all that that rule says is if something is a settlement talk, you can't put it in front of a jury at trial. It doesn't mean you can't oh. tell the rest of the world about it. It's, it's just anyone who is, is making that argument or espousing that argument is clueless. That is not at mm. all what the law says. So, look, I don't doubt I, – I don't, I don't fault Raffensperger for, for recording this call. I think I, I would if I was in the same situation as he, as he um, given the Lindsey Graham precedent, but but even just given the scenario of the call, right? I mean, a lot of people who've recorded Trump, every time Trump gets recorded and you hear it, there, there's always, it's shocking how low he's willing to go and how much he's willing to bend or break the rules and the law. So I think you want to protect yourself because listen, if Raffensperger had come out today and said, here's my recollection of the call, and, and, he, and he just said verbatim what's on the call, I guarantee you, the president and his defenders would have said, that's nonsense. That's not what happened. That's a lie. So you have to protect yourself. Uh, and, and I don't fault him for doing that as long as it's legal under Georgia law. And I, I believe Georgia is a one-party one consent state, meaning either party to a call can record it. And, and what if the other person's in Washington, D.C., which I believe is a two-party consent state? Yeah, I think it, I think as long as the boy, I should know this. I think it's uh, it goes by the state where the person is um, who's doing the recording is located. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And and Georgia is a single party permission, which is weird, but okay, that's their rule. Um, so I wanted to uh, move along. Do you well, and you said it's time for prosecutors to do their job. So let's wrap up this little bit of a conversation and say, what what do you think should happen here? I'm, I'm hoping, you know, my first thought was the GA, the, the Attorney General in Georgia wasn't, is a Republican, but, you know, the president just shook down a couple of Republicans in his state. Uh, and then also uh, the Department of Justice, federal prosecutors. Well, let me be clear what my argument is. Prosecutors need to, at a minimum, open an investigation of this. And, and I mean federally and, and state. And, and I mean it, it with respect to this incident, but also to other things, including uh, – I, I don't want to say the Mueller report because I would say the, the new developments on the Mueller report, the delivery of pardons to people who Mueller already said – had pardons dangled by the president in order to keep them silent. So here's what I'm getting a little bit sick of. 
I'm, I'm getting sick of this idea of eh, Trump is Trump. It's just Trump being Trump. And look, we all need to move on. We all need to move along. And we, we should be looking forward, not backward. Well, you know, Ellie, Charles Manson is just being Charles Manson. Well, right. We can't, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously, right. A, an extreme example, a little bit different. But but let me but I'll say this. I mean, Every prosecution is backwards looking. You can't prosecute someone for future crimes. That's what we do as prosecutors. And I understand the political complexity and challenge that comes with potentially prosecuting a past president. I really do understand that. And and I don't think it's outrageous for prosecutors to think about that and to to decide if we're going to charge this person, we have to have really strong evidence and be, you know, maybe even extra plus confident in our case. But the, the possibility of DOJ not even seriously, the next DOJ, not even seriously opening an investigation of the pardons of this incident, of several other incidents of Ukraine. I mean, it seems to me to be really um, in play that DOJ just sort of breezes past it and says, we need to focus on, on, on moving forward. And I don't think that's the right outcome. I think at a minimum, DOJ has to do real investigations into all of these things. And look, they, you know, it, it's it'll be up to DOJ, and I believe they'll make whatever the right decision is. But to not even open up serious criminal investigations, I think, is a, is a, a, a derogation of duty. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of scrutiny, too. And and if I were if I were in a Department of Justice that wanted to move forward and not prosecute anything, I would minimally open up these investigations get all the evidence and then say, I don't have enough here to prosecute. I checked at least go through some sort of emotion of looking like you're doing something. I, and I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I think that there'll be thorough investigations here. Um, and of course, you know, if we are able to win the Senate and we just continue to maintain the house, any subpoenas and criminal referrals will be taken a little more seriously by this department of justice than the last. I, I think that's right. You know, c- talking about congressional subpoenas, um, and you know, it, it'll be an interesting dynamic. I mean, Joe Biden's done one good thing and one bad thing on this on this note. The good thing is he said publicly, I will respect my attorney general. I will leave prosecutorial decisions up to the attorney general, thumbs up or thumbs down. That is that is important. That is right. That is necessary. What I don't like is that Joe Biden has reportedly, according to NBC News, told various people around him, and the man's smart enough to know that this will get out. He's been in D.C. long enough that he really does not want to see DOJ pursue these. He doesn't want divisive investigations and that kind of thing. Um, that is a step down the wrong path. And and by doing that, he's saying, you know, he, he's at least subtly or or he understands passively making his preference known. And I think if you're going to leave it up to the AG, really leave it up to the AG. Yeah, and he said that, and he's even talked about executive orders. And I'm really interested from this NBC reporting, like what what sources that that well, is. Well, it, it seems reliable to me that they they attribute it to five sources. Kristen Welker is one of the reporters on it. I mean, that's that's pretty rock solid. Got it. Yep, you're right. Uh, all right, pivot a little bit here before I let you go. I got to get your opinions on. Uh, we now have eleven senators that are going to object. They're going to drag this thing out on January sixth, and I just kind of again want to put everyone's mind at ease that this cannot go anywhere. So let me let me say this: this will be a ridiculous political circus, and maybe maybe worse than that, given you know that they're trying to physically rally people to do whatever in DC you know to to rally in DC but let's hope that that doesn't get out of control political circus at a minimum legally it's not going anywhere but i, I want to raise one sort of potentially um potentially scary wrinkle that won't happen this year but there there is a law a federal law 
called the Electoral Count Act of 1887. And this is what we've, you know, people have been talking about this that basically says if one member of the House and one member of the Senate, glad they set the bar so high here, one member of the House and one member of the Senate raise objections, then Congress has to debate. And then now the bar gets raised. If a majority of the House and a majority of the Senate vote, they can discard certain electoral votes or, or decline to count them. Now, the good news is there's no way that's going to happen. Obviously, has 0% chance in the House, I think has 022 you know, 0.2% chance in the Senate because there's plenty of Republicans who are not going to be on board with this. But, but the scary thing and a question I get a lot is, well, what if someday both parties can uh, – the same party controls both houses – and they just decide they want to unilaterally throw out any electoral votes for the opposing party's presidential nomination. Could they do that? And the answer is maybe yes, but maybe no. On the face of the Electoral Count Act, they could do that. But I think it's important to know there's a real question about whether that act is even constitutional in the first place. And if either party mm. ever tried to do that, the other party would absolutely challenge it in court and say – this law allowing Congress on its own to throw out electoral votes and essentially pick its own person as president is unconstitutional. It violates separation of powers between the executive and legislative branch. So we're not going to see that play out to its, you know, thankfully to its final degree this week. But just know that ultimately this thing is doomed. It's, it's a circus. It's um, it's crazy. It's damaging to our democracy, but it's not going to change the outcome. Yeah. And you have to imagine that the whole reason of the like the whole intent behind that law was if there was malfeasance, if there were malfeasance in certain areas or ballot box stuffing or actual issues, you know, there are <laughs> there are none in this particular case. Uh, but then you then that would give Congress a, 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 a path to object uh, on behalf of the American people, not on behalf of their own party. And let's let's just remember, you know, we're almost overly dignifying this whole thing by even talking about the constitutional process because it's based on a complete false assumption. It's based on an entirely fictional premise that there was even this mm. massive election fraud to begin with. So, yeah, I, I, but I think that's the general intent behind that law back in the uh, back in the 19th century yeah well maybe we'll uh, make a couple of reforms to that yeah <laughs> in, could be. in the new in the new in the new congress all right well thank you so much cnn legal analyst former federal and state prosecutor ellie honig i appreciate your time today thanks aj everybody stick around we'll be right back with the good news all right everybody welcome back it's time for the good news who likes good news Good news, good news. And we are going to need, I'm I'm begging like Trump begged Raffensperger, I'm going to need your good news. We're going to need your good news this week and next week. Uh, it's So please send in any good news stories you have, pod, pet, pics, uh, kids, grandkids, whatever you got, send it in, dailybeanspod.com, click on contact. We, we also take corrections. And uh, we also accept uh, confessions. And then, of course, if you want to have a dispute settled in Amy's court on Fridays, we can do that, too. So that's what we what we do. Um, you ready for this, Dana? I am. We've got a, some long ones and some good ones. So, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll kick this off with uh, Brian. Pronouns he and him. Hello, Beans crew. Thank you for doing important work. AG, thank you especially for bringing us these shows. They're consistently amazing. Oh, thank you, Brian. You've helped me over the last four years get through some pretty dark times. 
Back at you, Brian. The good news is that it's almost over. Trump has done more harm to our democracy and collective spirit than I thought possible four years ago. The Democrats aren't perfect, but at least they're on our side. I look forward to your stories, holding these villains accountable. I want to know Mitch McConnell's dark secret. I want to know about the skeletons in Pompeo's closet. I want to know why these scoundrels sold us out. We will finally, we will find out eventually. And that's the good news. Uh, I have attached a photo. Uh, And a few photos of our precious pups, Ahab and Sally. Ahab is 16-year-old Jack Russell, and Big Sal is a 13-year-old mini schnauzer. They love going for bike rides. The last photo is a promo from my local business, E-Bike Cargo. If you ever want to do a segment on sustainable transportation, I would love to help. (gasps) Oh, very nice, these babies. Look at the little... Oh, look at the schnauzer. Schnauzer party. So cute. That third picture. My goodness, all happy in the sun. (coughs) Oh! the palm trees this looks nice v-locker i love it it is great yeah those little baskets those really cool sustainable awesome um secure baskets on the back of your bike to carry stuff around and including tiny dogs i love it all right we got more stuff coming this is from kelly pronouns she and her happy new year to everyone on the beans team i was listening to friday's episode trump pence me cute and i had to pull myself off the road when i heard linda's good news story so i could look up visual snow syndrome i'm so thankful she wrote in with this good news because i think i may be disposed uh, predisposed to this condition also i've had migraines since early childhood and i've never had visual auras i actually sometimes have auras that are partially paralysis uh, but hey that's unrelated i do have serious light sensitivity though and i like linda also have a cardiologist for other reasons and last year they had me try a medicine let me tell you all i've never tried acid but after one dose of that drug it was like i woke up inside a kaleidoscope apparently this was an extremely severe version of an already rare side effect called luminous phosphines my doctors were very confused. Everything I know about it, I've learned through my own research. I've honestly been freaked out about it ever since. It took weeks to go away, and I could barely walk from all the moving rainbow lights. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you to Linda, because in the brief time I spent on the side of the road reading about visual snow, I think it would be very helpful for me to bring to my care team. So thankful to UAG for creating this podcast that keeps me updated on the news. It has such a wonderful community where this kind of chance blessing can occur. Here's to a wonderful 2021. That's awesome. Kelly, thanks for writing in and thanks for Linda for you writing in. See, we're all helping each other. This is wonderful. Uh, Next up from Jim, pronouns he and him. Good news. As As of December 14th, my wife Jan and I are great grandparents. Our grandson Philip and his partner Yasmin had a boy, Angel Matthew Hernandez. Baby and mother are healthy and doing well. Angel is Philip's middle name and the baby's middle name is Matthew. uh, And that's for Philip's late brother, Matthew, who was murdered in 2013 at age nine by their father as he was losing a custody battle with our daughter after the divorce. Jessica and her boys have lived with us for about three years while her ex was in prison, and I had spent more dad time with those kids than their biological father, taking them to school, helping them with their homework, teaching them how to throw a frisbee at the park. We'll always miss Maddie, but seeing his name carried on this way feels good. So the birth of Philip's little boy is really good news, a wonderful holiday gift for the family. Interesting, the thought of being a great-grandparent doesn't feel weird, but our daughter being grandma is unreal. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have a safe and have a much better year in 2021. If you're able to start touring again this coming year, come to New Mexico. We'll be there. We should go to Albuquerque. Oh, in a heartbeat. I have the theater all set for us. You would love it. Oh, sweet. Yep. Okay, we're coming to Albuquerque. You got that, Jim? Pod Pet P. 
picks tax attached. Man, that's hard to say. Our three cats, all from the same litter. We were foster failures and adopted them as kittens about eight years ago now instead of just fostering them. The two tabby brothers are Rusty, orange and white, and Mapenzi, tan. His his name is Swahili for lover boy. <laughs> and uh, their torty sister is Bolt, so named for her habit of instantaneously teleporting through any door left open for a microsecond if we don't want her to go through it. Her favorite stunt is to escape from the house. They're indoor cats. They just sit outside the door watching us and waiting for us to come scoop her up and schlep her back inside. Look at these babies. Semper Fidelis and take care. Hoorah. So sweet. They're beautiful. Look at the... I want to rub the belly. I want to rub the belly. So sweet. All of them so, so sweet. Oh, I love that story. You know, I think about listening to these stories from the listeners just like how much life people have lived Mm. you know i i you know i think about this all the time because of what i do for a living ag and when you were traveling um with the the show and performing we meet more people than most normal on average people do and i just love hearing these stories of people and actually really connecting with it Mm. uh all over the all over the world Anyway, I think it's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing to like, you know, I sometimes sit and think about how complex my life is and how many people I know and all the things that I'm doing. And then I muse about everyone else having the same level of complexity in their lives and how expansive they are and that we all live together in this community and on this planet. And it's just it blows my mind how much how much information and data and joy and pain and love and everything that is how how much is encompassed in just in just who we are as people totally it's amazing it's amazing i love these stories we have another one this one's from anonymous pronounce he and him hello ladies please forgive the length of this submission there's just no short way to tell the story I completely understand if you don't want to air this, privately enjoy and just get a good laugh. Except for Donald Trump. Names have been changed for obvious reasons. Also, uh-huh. Uh-huh, I've been a listener since back in the kitchen table, astro- uh, ast- atrocious audio days. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> I'm not even sure how I found MSW, but I was stoked when the Daily Bean started and listened to it every day. Now, this is neither good news nor a confession, but it has to do with Donald Trump and dildos. So there has to be good, right? So maybe it'll be good on the slow good news day. This happening in September of 2019. So pre-COVID, but it's worth telling. I thought about sharing it with beans for a while. Last month, when you mentioned the Hungarian COVID super spreader orgy, I figured it was time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Here we go, everyone. Uh, I work for a local chapter of an international nonprofit group dedicated to water quality issues relating to equity, conservation, and environmental quality. A couple times a year, we organize eighth graders to do a creek cleanup in our local stream. We provide uh, five gallon, uh, yeah. Oh. We provide five gallon buckets, garbage bags, PPE, break them up into groups of five to eight kids accompanied by a teacher, parent, or representative of the nonprofit, and they clean about a mile of stream and stream bank. The kids collect everything they can reasonably and safely pick up. We bring it back to a sorting area where it is separated, weighted, and or counted. Glass and aluminum recycled, and the rest goes to the landfill. The kids use the data for their classwork, and the data we collect helps us quantify yearly totals, etc. 
Now, this creek goes right through the middle of town, a progressive, environmentally aware university town. This is a green belt and concrete path along the creek, and it stays relatively clean. But college kids, transients, tubers, kayakers, swimmers, recreationalists, kooks and weirdos leave their shit everywhere. So there's a lot of crap left over. So the sorting area is near the dumpster in a hotel parking lot. And as things come in, piles develop. Cans and bottles, cigarette butts, shoes, tennis balls, clothes, all manner of flotsam and jetsam uh, start to accumulate. There are always some unusual finds. For each of these events, myself and other staff members keep an eye on what's picked up. And from the, the refuse, we um, elevate a holy trinity. It usually consists of the three largest or most unusual finds. It's normally what we call charismatic megaplastics. Um, example, traffic cones, kids play kitchens, chairs etc. Now, the group of kids I was working with was three boys and three girls who had sort of self-segregated by gender. We have to understand that kids are kind of all over the place. I'm mostly there to keep them from stepping on nails or picking up stuff we don't want them to like jagged hunks of metal, needles, broken glass, etc. One of the young ladies goes, hey, look at what I found. It's Donald Trump. I didn't immediately walk over to see what she was talking about before I even turned to look that direction. I heard the words that no 54-year-old man working with 8th graders ever wants to hear. Isabella found a vibrator! Ah! (laughs) Screak! Block! Kelsey! Put it down! Put it in the bucket! Uh... I then did what any normal person would do in the situation. I fucking panicked. I mean, what the fuck was I supposed to do at that point? Is this a hazmat situation? Do they have all their shots? I just can't walk over and tell an eighth grade girl to hand over the vibrator, can I? Do I say anything at all? No. You don't say a fucking word and you pretend it's not happening. They'll just put it in a five-gallon bucket, right? And when they dump it out on the collection area, I'll just snag it real quick and get to the dumpster, okay? I've got a plan. Now, a few seconds go by. I've collected myself, and I'm at a level of benign resignation that my choice, just to play it off, like it isn't happening. All right. I think to myself, I have this under control. This can't get worse. I glance toward them, but the terrain and vegetation is blocking my view. It's as nonchalant a fashion as I can. I walk in their direction, put the commotion is intensifying. The girls are laughing and screaming, and every thread of my being knows this is worse than I thought. Now, as the situation comes into view, I see this isn't a vibrator at all. It's a giant double-ended dildo. One end bigger than the other and probably two feet long. One of the girls is holding a Donald Trump Chia pet ball devoid of any Chia. One of the others is hitting the Donald on the head and jabbing him in the face with a dildo. Then she starts swinging it at her friends. The only, the only thing going on my way is that at this point, the boys have not responded to the ruckus. However, runners, cyclists, and pedestrians are going past at a pretty good rate, and it's clear I am the adult in charge of these kids. Awkward. So, I decide this has to end now. It has to, or the situation will get infinitely worse than it already is. The potential spectacle caused by 50 other kids encountering the dildo has to be subverted. At this point, I've identified Kelsey as the one wielding the dildo, and I do what I have to, I do what I've not wanted to do until this point. I acknowledge and sequester the dildo. Heroically, I extend my arms, I open my garbage bag, and I say loudly, stop. Now I've got their attention. Kelsey! Put the dildo... Fuck, I just said dildo to them. They think it's a vibrator. Oh, fuck it. Put it in. Put it in the bag. She drops it in a mostly empty garbage bag, which is tall enough to be contacting the the bike path below, and it hits the cement with a thud that, if I'm honest, almost makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Dana makes gag sound. 
<laughs> okay, keep calm and carry on. I see as they, <laughs> they laugh for the obvious. <laughs> okay. <sighs> uh, laugh for obvious. My mouth's actually watering a little bit. Okay. Um, laugh of obvious, not for good reasons. Obvious metric reasons. Okay. After a few more minutes, the kids are ready to empty their buckets. So we start heading back to the sorting area. Along the way, I say quietly to the three girls, I'm throwing this in the dumpster. So as soon as we get back, no one's going to see it. And that was the last I spoke of it to them. One of the boys overheard me and asked what I was talking about. <sighs> what are you talking about? He asked. Nothing. Isabel found a vibrator. It didn't find a vibrator. You found a, you found a vibrator? It wasn't a vibrator. It was a dildo. She said loud enough for anyone within 500 miles to hear. It echoed off into infinity. Dildo, 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 dildo. The walk back consisted of giggling and murmuring about dildos and vibrators, which I ignored. I guess there's some news on that project. The kids picked up almost 1,400 pounds of garbage, glass and aluminum. I'm, I'm sure 1,200 pounds of that was the double-headed dildo. dildo. Yeah, that was just my, <laughs> that was the narrator, everybody. On the same stretch of stream that another group had um, picked up 1,600 pounds of garbage six months earlier. Jesus Christ, people, stop leaving so much garbage over there. Uh, when we got back to the sorting area, I did show the other adults the dildos so that if it came up at all, they'd already have a heads up, no pun intended, regarding the truth of the situation. <laughs> if it came up at all, they'd have a heads up. They'd, have, they'd actually have two heads up. They'd have a double head up. Okay, regarding the truth of the situation that all got a good laugh out of the story. There's no pet tax, honey, you don't have to give us one. There's no pet tax um, is attached, but I am including a picture of a tiny bit of unsorted trash that events Holy Trinity, the two-foot-long double-headed dildo, the bald Donald Chia pet, and appropriately a rotten hard-boiled egg. That is the most uh, straight ladies. I don't know how. If you think this is a pretty appendage, I don't understand. I mean, come on, guys. You cannot look down at that and be like, I got a good looking dick. I mean, some of you probably think, I just can't, AG. You should probably stop me from talking right now. <laughs> it just reminds me of, have you seen the movie Parenthood with Steve yeah. Martin? Oh, yes. You know, when he goes looking for the flashlight after the power outage and he turns it on and it just starts buzzing and then the lights come on and he's holding a vibrator and the little girl goes, he just laughs and runs away. And the little girl goes, what was that? And the mom goes, it was an electric ear cleaner. And the little girl goes, it was kind of big and then grandma goes it sure was <laughs> reminded me of your grandfather rest uh, his soul now i actually am trying not to um, if you do see the picture of this in the newsletter it is absolutely disgusting and maybe just because it's dirty i mean obviously i don't think penises are like a foul thing i just is it because it's dirty, AG? I, 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 as a straight woman, I need to know, or presumably straight, my apologies. What, tell me, tell me your thoughts on this. Here are my problems. There's this uncanny valley situation happening of it being two ended, right? It's just a, like a <laughs> disembodied two ended penis. Right. And then, yes. and then they tried to make it look realistic. Let's just say that. Yes. Um, and, that Ugh. it's tapered bothers me. That it's tapered bothers me. One end me. is smaller than the other. 
Uh, Why? I don't. I don't know. What's like for an Irish lady on one end? I don't get it. I mean, listen. I know that because I listen. I know that it's not just lesbians using toys. Like straight people use toys, and gay men use toys, and everyone uses toys. But the visuals this puts in my head. I need you to stop the episode. Can we just ask what's good yeah, in the world? We can. We can. <laughs> we can try to end this. Get it? Oh my god. Uh, I need to stop scrolling. I mean, I need to get off this picture. Not off, Thank whatever. You. <laughs> <laughs> I can't breathe. Oh, my cheeks. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? No, I'm just praying by the time you hear this, we've got a good turnout in Georgia. <laughs> That's all I have. Oh, shit balls. Can we name it Leffler and Purdue? Can we? <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Those two, en- the double ended dildo. One end is Leffler, the end is, the other end is Purdue. Oh, my God. All right. Okay. Let's get off this picture. <laughs> Good times. Everyone, uh, uh, till tomorrow. Mm. Uh, (laughs) We just cemented our... ourselves in the history of journalism of a true i think this is a this is pulitzer stuff <laughs> oh, this doesn't win a webby or whatever they're called i have no idea what it takes a podcast yeah. award what whatever <laughs> what's it even for all right everybody until tomorrow um we'll be watching those results and uh please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet <laughs> take care of your mental health i've been ag <laughs> and i've been tg That's the beans. Refried beans. I like refried beans. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit 
standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.